Prepare the way of the Lord. Welcome to this first Sunday of Advent. God is ever at work in the world. So we come into God's presence today to boldly worship the God revealed to us in Scripture. We come seeking to join our work to God's work, to be part of God's big story. This world is about to turn. Please turn in your bulletin to the call to worship. You may notice that some lines are labeled Espanol and some are labeled English. You may choose which of those you read. And you're welcome to read both. If you are a decent Spanish speaker, I encourage you to read really loudly and boldly in Spanish to lead the rest of us who need a little more help. No pongan su confianza, confianza en gente poderosa, en simples mortales, que no puedan salvar. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. Exhalen el espíritu y vuelven al povo, y ese mismo día desparatan sus planes. When their breath departs, 
they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob. Cuya esperanza este está en el Señor su Dios, creador del cielo y de la tierra, the sea and everything in them. El Señor hace justicia a los oprimidos. The Lord gives food to the hungry and sets the prisoner free. El Señor sostiene a los agobiados y protege al extranjero. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the orphan and the widow. El Señor reine para siempre, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Alleluia. Alabado sea al Señor. Praise the Lord. In your blue hymnal worship book, please turn to number 172, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We will be singing verses 1, 5, and 6. And please stand in body or in spirit, whichever suits you best.
sing the story, we'll be singing My Soul Cries Out, number 124, a setting of Mary's Magnificat. Um, Talasha is going to be dancing, and we are introducing some Spanish, a Spanish translation. For most of the song, you are welcome to sing whichever t language is more comfortable to you. In particular, once Talasha is dancing, we have to keep the tempo quick enough. She, you know, gravity is a constant, and she can only jump, so she has to have it fast enough to jump for, for the dancing. So we will sing just the refrain once slowly to familiarize you with the Spanish refrain, and then we will speed up the tempo and keep it going, and you will sing whichever language is more comfortable. Uh, so here is the Spanish refrain. time to come together as the body of Christ in prayer. One situation we'll pray for today is the family of Jack Crouch. Da Jack died peacefully on Friday. His memorial service will not be until sometime next year. Please join with me in prayer. God, we step into Advent this morning, ready to experience the awe of the season. 
You are the creator who turns the world, the Christ who brings the reign of peace, the spirit who intimately breathes life into us. We come to you with our prayers for ourselves, our community, and our world. God, our great comforter, we remember this morning those who face grief. We lift to you the family and friends of Jack Crouch. We lift to you Dottie Kaufman and Ora Troyer as they both mourn the loss of brothers. And John and Elaine Harley as they and their family mourn the loss of John's mother. Bring your comfort to each of them and to all those who mourn loved ones who won't be with them for Christmas this year. God, we also bring before you those who are in pain of body and spirit. We are thankful that Caleb Ganawan is done with this last week's painful treatments. And we pray for Caleb and his family as they enter a week of scans and tests. Grant them peace as they await results. We pray for healing for Caleb's body, God. We also pray for Lisa Mort's mother, Vera, as she undergoes shoulder surgery. And for Paul Gingrich and Don Spillman, Mary Bontrager and Julie Bender, as each are dealing with health concerns, bring your encouragement and your sustaining peace. God, as we celebrate and anticipate the birth of your son, we also celebrate the littlest ones in our midst. We pray for little Mia and her family, for Corby and Wells and their family, and we pray for the new life growing and waiting to be born in Geraldine and Jose's family. You are sovereign, we know this, but we worry and grieve when we hear of violence, death, and brokenness in our world. Give us a sense of agency to join your healing work in the world. Help us to look around and notice what you're doing and jump in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this next song, the children may come forward and we'll also have the Advent candle lighting. In your purple, sing the story. Turn to number 15, Hope is a Candle. And we will sing verses 1, 2, and 5. 
to ask you a few questions. And you can think about your answers to them. You can think your answers, and we're not going to say these thoughts out loud just yet, okay? I encourage the rest of you to think about these things, too. Do you ever feel worried? What do you worry about? How does your body feel when you are worried? I remember a story from when I was in kindergarten. I found and read a book that I don't think my parents would have given me to read. It was a book that was supposed to be about the Bible, but it interpreted some things in a way that was pretty scary. And it really scared me. One of the things that I read in it made me very scared of the sky getting dark, like not at night when it's supposed to be dark, but during the day when usually it's light. Now you all live in northern Indiana, and so for you, if you can't see the sun during the day, that's like pretty normal, right? I don't think you'd get too worried about that. But I lived in Kansas, and in Kansas, there's hardly ever a day where you can't see the sun. And something I read in that book made me nervous when there were days like that. It's a fear I would have gotten over like that in Indiana, but not in Kansas. I remember being in my kindergarten classroom and there was a storm coming. The sky got very dark. I looked out the window and I got really worried. My body went really still like this, but my heart was racing. And I remember that I just couldn't get myself to move. It's like everything was frozen except my heart beating very, very fast. And I took deep breaths. Because that's what my mom had taught me to do if I ever got nervous. And after a while and a lot of deep breaths, I felt calmer and I could move again and join my class in what they were doing. But I was still very worried. Now, I don't know why, but I never told any grown-up about what I was worried about. In fact, if my parents heard this story, I think they would be surprised. And I wish I had. I wish I had told a grown-up about that worry. Because I think if I had talked about it, I would not have felt so worried. I still worry about things sometimes. Look around at your church family. Can you all raise your hands if you ever worry? 
Yeah. Oh, my hand definitely should have been up. Yes, we all worry. Ever since human beings were created, we have worried about things. You know, when Jesus was born, I think his parents had quite a few things to worry about. There were things going on in their world that made it very unsafe for their family. In fact, when Jesus was little, they had to flee to a different country just to keep him safe. Mary and Joseph knew what it was like to worry. Okay, as you were coming up for children's time, Layla lit a candle up there. Do you know why she did that? Anyone know? Why are we lighting candles? Yeah? Because Christmas is so close, and normally at church, we have these candles we light at home. Yes, yes. Christmas is it's coming Advent. close, and it's Advent, and we light candles at church just like we light candles at home. Yeah. Advent is a time when we get ready for celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now, this is a tough one. Does anyone know, can you remember from other years what word we say when we light that first candle of Advent? Yeah? Hope. Yeah, hope is our first Advent word. That first candle is a candle that reminds us that when we are worried, Jesus is our hope. We have the hope of Jesus. So whatever it is that we are worried about, God's already there. And that's really hard to understand, but you know what? God's bigger than we can understand. And God's love always wins. And it's because of Jesus that we can sing that song we just sang earlier in the service, The World is About to Turn. Jesus brings the turning of the world. God is at work and God is doing big things So we can hope and we can trust in God. There's stuff going on in our world and we are going to worry. And that's okay. And when you are worried, please don't be like me when I was five. Please talk about it. But God is turning the world and we get to hope. We're going to do a hope prayer to end our children's time, okay? So cup your hands in front of you like this. You're all welcome to join us in this if you want. And we're going to take a breath in, and on the breath out, we're going to say hope. And you can say it kind of like a breath out. I think of going, hope. Okay, let's try that together a couple times. Hope. 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 Amen. You may get worship bags and go back to your seats. In your purple, sing the story. Turn to number 12, Magnificat. This is a tise round that we will be singing throughout the month of Advent. Today we're just using the first two lines, the primary canon. Um, The words are Latin, but it's a translation of the first lines of Mary's song. Uh, Magnificat anima mea dominum. Uh, We'll sing through the canon once in unison, and then one, two, three, four, and keep it going for several times then.
Our first scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And I'll be reading this from the deep blue Bible that we give our first graders. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of planning and strength. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances or decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out, and his dwelling will be glorious. The word of the Lord. Our preacher this morning is Phil Waite. Join me in a prayer of blessing. Emmanuel, we are grateful you are here with us. You have walked with Phil in his preparation, and now we pray that you will bring all of us together as you speak through him. God of our past, present, and future, dwell with us today. Amen. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our scripture this morning, uh, second scripture, gospel reading, is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him in the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. I'd like to begin with just a, a brief note. I just want to make clear that I told Anne-Marie that we couldn't have canons in the sanctuary during Advent, but she insisted, so that's why we sang Magnificat. You can ponder that. You can think about it. Just trying to, after reading John the Baptist, just trying to lower the anxiety just a little bit. The sermon title as you can see, and maybe you've noticed the sermon title. Sermon titles sometimes don't mean very much, and sometimes they mean a lot. And this is one of those sermons where they mean, where it means a lot. Who invited you? Who invited you? And it's taken from the text itself, right? John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So I wanna, I'm want i making that link in the sermon title with that phrase in the text, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who invited the Pharisees to, to come out uh, from Jerusalem into the wilderness to be baptized by John? So that's the question that frames the structure of the sermon. So I'm telling you right up front, that question is the, is the, is, is the question the sermon will try to address. Who invited you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who? I want to start by uh, setting the scene a little bit and by addressing this issue of who are the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, uh, now John was obviously kind of an ascetic, uh, monastic kind of uh, character. You know, he... A diet of locusts and wild honey and uh, camel's hair and a leather belt in the wilderness, uh, preaching and proclaiming. This is sort of an odd, an odd character, right? He's a kind of a scary character. Uh, I've been spending the week with John the Baptist, it feels like, and it's, it's a little scary, John the Baptist is. And people are coming out to him from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, if you know, you may or may not know, your uh, geography from, uh, from these parts, but, but uh, Jerusalem would be kind of in the middle of Israel on a highland, 
highland area, and you would have to go down to the Jordan River from Jerusalem, from the mountain heights, and Judea would be that, the, the hilly area, kind of around uh, Jerusalem. Jesus was from Galilee in the far north, far north, it makes it sound like it's a long way, but uh, in the north of Israel, a distinct political entity in the time of Jesus. It wasn't maybe earlier, but in the time of Jesus, Galilee was a distinct political entity. So the distinction, Judea and Jerusalem, where people were coming from, is, is matters here in the text, and that John was in the, in the wilderness of Judea matters in the text, and people were coming out to him to be baptized, and they were anticipating that the world is about to turn. Something's about to change, and they want to prepare themselves by about getting baptized by John for the change that's coming. Something exciting is happening. The arrangements, the way that things have been arranged, are going to be rearranged. Someone is coming who's going to change things. That's John's message. Now, the the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come out from Jerusalem to be baptized by John, and John is angry with them just for showing up. He's mad. You brood of vipers is the first thing that John says to them. You brood of vipers. Now, what are vipers? We know what vipers are? Snakes, right? What kind of snakes? Poisonous snakes. Isn't, isn't, aren't rattlesnakes pit vipers, aren't they? I don't know my, my biology. Somebody? Yes? Yes? Okay, I got one little feeble yes. Where are, where are our biologists here? Um, they're snakes. They're scary snakes. And the, the, uh, in, in ancient times, the people in Jesus' time believed that vipers, this is kind of disgusting, so I don't know, it's a little disgusting. But this is what they believed, and it kind of matters for understanding the text. So we're, gonna, we're going to go there. Vipers ate their way out of their mother. Like a brood of vipers, when, when these vipers were born, they ate their way out of their mother. That's what people believed. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but they believed that, which is kind of what matters for the metaphor. You brood of vipers. You cannibalize your mothers just to be born. That's a pretty heavy insult. And then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So it raises the question, what is so bad about these people that John would react that way to their mere presence to come out and be baptized, to apparently seek repentance? Why would John be so angry about this? I'm glad you asked. The conventional Christian interpretation of the meaning of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this context it has to do with our own, uh, our own situation and the kinds of questions that, that we ask of the text and the things that interest us. Uh, and for, for uh, people like ourselves, we've tended to, f- to focus on the Pharisees as being the party of the law and the Sadducees being the party of the temple. So we've talked about the Sadducees being the temple party, the priestly aristocracy, uh, the collaborators with, with Rome, 
um, who believed that salvation for Israel came from the temple. As long as the temple existed and we could worship in the temple, then everything's okay. So that was the, the Sadducees. That's the way we've understood the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were the law party. They believed that the salvation of Israel came in following the law to beyond the letter of the law. They innovated new kinds of laws because they believed it was crucial for the salvation of Israel to follow the law. Now, these understandings are true, but by focusing on these two pieces, we've missed maybe something that's more important and the reason that John is so offended by their presence. If you read the Gospels, you will see the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees spoken of frequently and almost always negatively by, by Jesus. I mean, you just, I, I encourage you just to, just to, just to leaf through the Gospels and, and look for the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and to consider what is being spoken of about them. Uh, what's, what does Jesus in particular say about them? Uh, and I, it's, it's illuminating. But what I want to say about the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, this morning has to do with their place in the socioeconomic structure of the society in which they lived. This is crucial to understanding the text, and it's crucial to understanding how John relates to them, and it's crucial to understanding how Jesus relates to them. If, if we understand this, it shifts the way we look at the Gospels almost entirely, at least at least that's the experiencing, experience I'm having as I reflect on the Sadducees and the Pharisees and their socioeconomic meaning in the life of uh, ancient Israel. So the key economic and social unit of ancient times was the land. And we've talked about, we've been talking about creation care, and we've been talking a lot about the earth and the land. And the land was crucial. The land was absolutely essential. It was the source of wealth. There was no capitalism as we know it today. There was no sort of entrepreneur uh, who, who created wealth in uh, different kinds of ways. The land was the source of wealth. And the intersection of land and labor, human labor, created uh, food. And food was crucial. So in order for there to be a ruling class, there had to be taxes on food. So, so if you were, if you uh, farmed land, you were taxed. That's uh, the way of things. If you, you look at 1 Samuel 8 and you see taxation is, uh, is the taxation of land and labor is, is what it's all about. It's what kings do. It's what rulers do. They, they tax land and they tax labor. And they uh, pretty much have, the rulers pretty much have no other source of, of wealth. And if they want to do something like a, a great project, like a great building or building a fortress, um, military outposts, if they want to pay soldiers, they have to tax people who work the land. 
And so there were three classes of rulers uh, in the time of Jesus. One class of rulers, of course, were the Romans. The Romans were very powerful. Needless to say, it was their empire. Uh, But the Romans were also shrewd, and so they made alliances with different people uh, within the places that they they ruled. And they made an alliance in the case of of Israel. They made an alliance with um, the dynasty of Herod, Herod the Great, and Herod the Great's offspring. Herod the Great died around the time of the birth of Jesus, and his offspring continued to have some, some kind of uh, prominent positions in society of, uh, where they, where they uh, controlled regions and they controlled the, the wealth. So these, these dynasties then would also, these local rulers would also tax the people for their own projects and their own lifestyles, what have you. And then the third party, and this is where the Pharisees and the Sadducees come in, were the religious rulers. The religious rulers made a bargain with the Romans that the Romans would tolerate their religion and their religious practices and uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees would cooperate with the Romans. So they were responsible for taxing the people and there was a temple tax. And the temple tax went to support the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes who functioned in an advisory capacity. And the temple tax, of course, was a tax on the produce of the land. Now, there's another layer here. So if you, are, if you have a small plot of land and you uh, are in trouble and you have a, have a bad year, say, and you need uh, to borrow some money, who do you go to to borrow money? The people who have money. And who has money? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. Increasing the wealth of themselves, the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and oppressing the people who work the land. Is it any wonder there's so much talk about debts being forgiven in the Bible? So John the Baptist comes along proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand, proclaiming that there's one who's coming who's going to rearrange things, that's going to change the state of affairs that's going on, and it's going to turn the tables in favor of the everyday folks who are working the land, who are being taxed heavily for the glory and splendor and status and honor of Herods, the Herod dynasty, the Roman Empire, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the scribes. It's intriguing, you will note, that the charge against Jesus in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel is he says that he's going to, that the temple's going to be destroyed. Not a stone will be left on stone. Remember, we sang that this morning. We sang it very fast, but we did sing it. Not a stone will be left on stone. Let the king beware. Not a stone will be left on stone. All these great 
building projects built on the backs of the poor are going to come down and something's going to be rebuilt that's very different than that. That's the message of Advent. So you see when the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to be baptized by John, John is right to say, you brood of vipers, you're cannibalizing your own people. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're part of the problem. The world is about to turn and you're going to be on the other side of it, on the downside of it. Things are going to change. That's the setting. That's where we're at. That's the context for the gospel, the context in which Jesus comes. Now, the question that I said I would answer was, who invited you? Which gets to another question, that is, why did the Pharisees and Sadducees show up? Who did invite them? What are they doing there? Were they there to spy on John? Were they just curious? Or did they sincerely want to be baptized by John? Do they sincerely want to repent? Do they want John's baptism? I'm going, I'm going to suggest this morning that that latter, that, that latter answer is the answer. That the Pharisees were sincere in coming to John because there is something, was something deep inside of them, deep buried in their souls that they might not even have been aware of themselves that desired God, that desired the coming of Jesus, that desired that things be put to right. We are, each one of us, in our souls, embedded with that desire. The desire for God, the desire for Jesus to come, the desire for things to be right. It's conscience. It's part of what it means, I think, to be made in the image of God. And each one of us bear it. We carry it. And like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, each one of us tries to put something else in its place. We try hard to put something else in its place. Wealth, status, privilege, control. But like the scribes and like the Pharisees, we know deep down inside that that will not satisfy. Those things will not satisfy. That there is something more. This is the season of Advent, and I, I want to say a little bit about the war on Advent being perpetrated by the secularized and commercialized Christmas industrial complex. That's, I thought that was pretty funny. You can laugh. Thank you, Dirk. So I'd like to, I'd like to call out the war on Advent. Uh, and I'd like to say a few words for Advent. 
Advent is the season of the year where we, like the Pharisees, go out to John in our spirits to be baptized, where we consider what is it in our own lives that gets in the way of Jesus and what Jesus brings. I I, want to suggest uh, a practice that I've discovered, and it's meaningful, deeply meaningful to me, and I I, I offer it to you as a suggestion, and that is the Advent playlist. We have, I don't have my hymnal up here, but we have a, a section of songs in our hymnal that are Advent. It's an Advent section. Uh, and we sing a lot of those songs in church during Advent, and a lot of them, those songs we don't sing because we've only got a few Sundays. I wish Advent was like t- two or three months so we could sing all these songs. Um, anybody else? Can I get an amen on that? Isn't Advent great? Love all these Advent songs. They're amazing. And, and in the Sing the, uh, the Story and the Sing the Journey, we have more Advent songs. And so what I, I started to, to do, because I, I, I like these songs, and I got tired of, like, I don't need to start listening to Christmas songs in, in November or Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving. There are all these Advent songs I want to listen to. So I began to create, on Apple Music, a playlist of Advent songs. And I, I did searches of all the songs that are in our hymnal, and I led me to other songs and other songs, and it expanded. And now I have this, this playlist of, uh, of Advent songs, and there's quite a mix in there. I've got... Uh, prepare you the way of the Lord from God's spell, and I've got a reggae version of the angel Gabriel, uh, and everything in between, Chanticleer and you name it. But it's a, it's a playlist. And yesterday, something happened. It's amazing. I can't believe it. Somebody who I don't know, a total stranger, added my list to their list, to their playlist. They, they put uh, my playlist on Apple Music. You can do that. I didn't know you could do that. Um, so I, I, I offer that to you uh, to, to create an Advent playlist on Spotify or Apple Music or Google or whatever you use. Now, I, um, Talasha told me that, that their family has an Advent playlist on Spotify. So I have uh, Apple Music, and, or you can create your own, just the same way I did, by starting to do searches for Advent songs. Um, for the more analog among us, which I know that you're out there, analog people. God loves you too. Um, have Advent, uh, do some Advent singing. Hum, sing. Go through the hymnal and just look at the words of these songs. It's powerful and it's starting to change me, I feel like, just listening to these songs over and over and over again. And one of the phrases that you will hear in in Advent songs, and we will probably sing it in some form every Sunday of Advent and even maybe into Christmas, and that is the phrase, come desire of nations. Come desire of nations. It's a phrase, desire of nations. It's it's taken from Haggai, the prophet Haggai, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Some translations say treasure of nations. But it's been adopted as a common Advent refrain. Come, 
desire of nations. And there's that word, desire of nations. Just as each one of us individually has this desire for Jesus, all of humanity collectively, the nations have a desire for Jesus. That our corporate life together, our cultural life, our social life, our political life falls short. And there is more. And we want it. We long for it. The whole creation groans. So I invite us to nurture that longing in us through Advent music. Nurture it. Listen to it. Listen to those words. Read those texts. And nurture it in yourself. And consider what is it that's getting in my way of Jesus coming. In your blue hymnal, turn to number 185, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Um, And please stand in body or in spirit.
It's time for our offering, and I invite you to bring those forward if you're able to do so, or pass them up with a child or an usher as they pass by you. It's also our birthday offering Sunday, so if you have a birthday coming up in December, please bring your offerings for that forward and have a little birthday blessing as well. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, in your goodness, you never leave us or forsake us. You desire our return to you. You have placed in each one of us, on each one of us, your own image. And we long for you. Forgive us for the things that get in the way, that we place in the way of finding you. And guide us and lead us as your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the purple, sing the story, turn to number 112, My Lord, He is a coming soon.
benediction, please remember to extend peace and welcome to those around you, and especially try to introduce yourself to people you don't yet know. Remember to stop by the Encircling Exchange Board in the hallway to give what you can and receive what you need. The world is indeed turning, and we at CMC are noticing this turning world in our midst. If you want to really live in the midst of this and be a part of this, come on Wednesday night to the church meal and sit with each other and eat and sing together. Another world-turning thing happening this morning yet is the Spanish language service. So that will be happening here in the sanctuary at 11.15, and all are invited to join in that. Hear these words of benediction. The hope of Christ dwells in you richly. Go into this Advent season secure in the knowledge of the promise of God. Go in peace.